Welcome to the Uncomfortable Truth Podcast, hosted by the rock star of consulting, Alan Weiss. Be prepared to have your beliefs challenged and your behaviors questioned. I'm Alan Weiss. Welcome back to the Uncomfortable Truth. This episode is called A Pair of Deuces, or Why It's Not Always Successful to Win. I'm as competitive as the next person, you know, but you can't win all the time. For example, in negotiations with others, you want to protect your musts, things that are critical and vital to success, but you can certainly trade off and negotiate away some wants, desirables that aren't as important. After all, you have to give up something in a true negotiation. Too often we give up things that are critical rather than the things that are not critical. You want to teach your kids habits where you don't have to be right all the time. I used to play games with my kids and I'd let them win sometimes. They didn't know it, but I did because it helped their self-esteem and it also helped them to learn more and it made them more unafraid to play the game again, whether the game was academic or it was educational or it was uh, athletic, it didn't matter. When you have a good sports partner, I used to play racquetball a lot when I was younger because racquetball is a great game wherein you can miss the ball the first time and still hit it the second time as long as it doesn't bounce again. But as I got better and better, I didn't want to scare away my really valuable opponents who gave me a good workout, and so every once in a while, I lost. You might call it throwing a game or throwing a point, but it wasn't important for me to win every single time and prove some kind of crazy superiority. That, in the long run, of course, didn't matter because I had no intention of being a professional racquetball player. That takes too much work, and I don't like work. Sometimes there are just meaningless prizes that we compete for. We insist, we insist on getting these stupid stuffed toys out of the crane machines on the boardwalk at the beach. And we pop in quarters and pop in quarters and wind up spending $35 for something that costs about $6.50 basically at retail. But we insist on trying to pick up these furry cubes and furry banks and furry pigs where, of course, the, um, the crane um, uh, clippers are, are engineered so that they don't close securely anyway. But we insist on winning and we make these people rich who make up these dumb machines. Contractor negotiations are another good place not to try to win every single time. Because I want contractors to do a good job. I want them to come to me first. I don't want them to put me off to do somebody else's job. And so if a contractor says I can do this for $7,000 and I say make it sixty-five, and you have a deal, even if he does it for the sixty-five, and I say 500 bucks, I've created ill will. 500 bucks isn't that important to me. It's much more important to the contractor. And so winning in the short term the 500 is simply not worth it. I want long-term loyalty. I want long-term respect. I want long-term priority. Now, let me get back for the nonce here to my two deuces. Long ago and far away, I had a client in Minneapolis called Allianz Insurance. It was a wonderful company. It's owned, I think, in Germany. Wonderful insurance company. I had a wonderful CEO by the name of Lowell Anderson. And Lowell hired me to do a variety of different kinds of work in the place, some strategy formulation, some organizational change, and so forth and so on. And one year was a year that his executives were going to go on retreat. And they did that by taking this private plane. They had a prop plane, carried about a dozen people. And they took it from Minneapolis north, almost to the Canadian border in Minnesota, 
where they had one of these huge cabin affairs, log cabins, that slept about 12 or 15 people. You shared rooms. I shared mine with the CEO, with, with Lowell. And they had a groaning board. I mean, you had breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but this groaning board table also had food on it 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day. A couple maintained the place, and it was the finest food. And it was just incredible. You could not avoid gaining weight. And so during the day, we would have our meetings, uh, either several of us at a time or the whole group, and talk about the plans for the next year. We talk about the competition uh, and uh, around meals, we talk sports and things like this. In the evening, of course, there was no television. And so you had drinks and you had still more food uh, or you played games. And one of the games they played was what was called and what still is called stud poker. Uh, for those of you who know stud poker, it's not the traditional poker tournament you see on television. Uh, and in stud poker, you get seven cards, a couple face up, the rest face down. And it was a friendly bet. It was a, there was a maximum you could bet. There might be, you know, 20 bucks or 25 bucks in a hand, and that was it. And about six of us were playing, including the CEO, and I was invited to sit in. And although I know stud poker, I said, well, what are the rules and what hand beats what hand, just to show I was, you know, a, a tyro, a novice. And toward the end of the night, on about the last hand, Everybody had dropped out but the CEO and me. And my hand, which nobody else, of course, had access to, only had two deuces. I had a pair of deuces, and I think I had a queen high after that out of seven cards. It was terrible. But everybody else had dropped out except Lowell, so I stayed in. And Lowell, who I suspected had to have had a better hand, he finally, uh, when it was his uh, turn to bet, uh, he bet five dollars. And I was allowed to match that and raise it five, but that was the maximum. And so I matched it and I raised it five. And now it was up to Lowell either to match my raise and expose our hands or to drop out. And Lowell thought about it and he clacked his cards up and down on the table, click, 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 and he dropped out. And so as I swept the, the cash toward me, Lowell said, what did you have? And while I should have said, you know, oh, I had you know, a pair of kings and just folded the cards up, because there's no obligation to show your cards, I, I flipped them over and it was a pair of twos. And you could see that Lowell was really frustrated, having lost his hand to a pair of twos, because he had a much better hand. And he was the CEO and he was my client. And that was not a hand I needed to win. And I shouldn't have done that. So there are times when winning isn't all that important. Don't one-up people. Somebody says we went on this great vacation uh, we were in Santorini and we spent a week and somebody else says, well, I spent two weeks in Mykonos and it's far better. You don't want that kind of stuff. Help people rejoice in what they had a good time doing. Help people rejoice in their stories. You don't have to one-up them at the moment. I knew a needy guy once in the Speakers Association who watched another person get up and teach people on stage in real time to play the harmonica. About 100 people learning to play the harmonica at once. It was very interesting. But this guy says, I'm going to go up there and show them how to do it even better. And two of us held them back and said, you're not going up there. Tuck your ego away. You don't have to win this one. The best seats, fighting to get the best seats, aren't always the best seats because often what you'll get in a play is stage front. That is, you'll be in the very first row. And when you're in the very first row, what you find is that you're looking up the actors' costumes and you're getting spit on by actors who spit frequently as they try to project in the theater amplification or not. Those are not the best seats. They're just the closest seats. So best price, winning the price, winning the seats, can often result in lower quality. 
Winning isn't everything. The first person present, the person who wins the race to get somewhere first, is often the person who winds up volunteering to go up on stage and be part of the first act or part of the first presentation or perhaps help someone to set up. I don't know about you, but there were a lot of classes I've attended where I was just as happy coming in late and sitting in the back. I didn't need to win that particular encounter. The first new technology often has the most flaws. I'm not sure I always want to buy the very next iteration of an iPhone or an iPad or a desktop or a laptop or whatever it happens to be. I could wait a few months and see how other people fare. My current ones are perfectly fine. The differences aren't always that great. The same thing with a brand new model car. It's sharp to win that race, no pun intended, and have that car first before anyone else. That could be a really good feeling, but a lot of things go wrong with brand new models, and I don't think you really need to be a part of that. For years and years and years, when I worked with Hewlett Packard, they were the second ones into the market. They waited to see what happened, and then they entered second and intelligently with everything figured out. They didn't feel they had the need to be first. Second was fine, and it worked. Remember, Avis, we're second, and we try harder. So what I'm telling you here is that winning isn't everything. Winning is important, don't get me wrong. Being competitive is important, don't misunderstand, it's a capitalist system. But I'm saying you have to pick and choose. And just wanting to win, 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 to show that you're better, isn't necessarily an advance on your status. It isn't necessarily an improvement in your, in your status quo. And so you have to judge just how much you want to win. Now, if you're in the Olympics, if you're in a race, if you're in a competition, the idea is to go for the gold, right? I mean, nobody says, get out there and fight for the bronze. The idea is to go for the gold. You want to give it your very best effort. There's nothing embarrassing about finishing second. There's nothing horrible about finishing third. In fact, one year when the Harvard uh, crew team, the rowing team, finished eighth, the Harvard coach said, there is nothing embarrassing or wrong about being the eighth best rowing team in the world. Well, okay, but I don't think he went there to be eighth. However, in our normal mundane travails and the normal things we do every day, do you really have to have that parking space? Do you really have to have that seat? Can't you be happy with something else? And I think we overextend ourselves and overextend our energy when we're always trying to be first, always trying to be best, always trying to be fastest, always trying to be the one who's in the limelight. Now, I know that might seem strange to a lot of you coming from me, but I've realized how much energy that takes that isn't paid back. There's no return on the investment of that energy because being first in so many of the things I talked about with your kids, with your sports partner, with a meaningless prize, with contractors, with other people's vacations, and so on, doesn't gain you anything. And so ask yourself, what's really the gain here? What really makes the difference? Do you have to have that certain seat? Do you have to have that certain day? Do you have to have that certain viewpoint or vantage point? And so I admonish you, what are the real advantages of winning and what are the real advantages of not feeling the urge to win so greatly? What happens when you have the two deuces? Maybe you should fold your hand and keep a lifelong client, right? I think that's the uncomfortable truth here. I'll see you next time. You've been listening to The Uncomfortable Truth with Alan Weiss. For free access to Alan's newsletters, audio and video resources, and for information about his global events and coaching communities, please visit alanweiss.com. Thanks for listening.
keep the faith.